Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. Joined by Eric Voss at GatorCountry.com. On this episode, we will discuss Florida's two victories over the past week. Uh, they defeated Florida A&M, one of the worst teams in college basketball. And then they defeated Stetson, who is much improved this season under Donnie Jones. Uh, a couple dominant wins from Florida by 40 over FAMU, by 38 over Stetson, sort of just what the doctor ordered after a tough trip to Portland. Um, so uh, we'll get into those games, and then we'll preview Florida's huge contest against a great UConn team, or what looks like a great UConn team, at least at this point in the season. Um, UConn finally visiting the Odome. The game was put off uh, for various reasons. COVID, UConn then needed to reschedule and move some things around last year. Point being, they're finally coming down. 9 p.m. Uh, ESPN, huge, huge game for Florida, huge opportunity. Uh, Going to be tough, but we'll we'll break it all down for you. So, hope you guys enjoy the show, and thank you as always for listening. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric will be joining us momentarily. We have two games to break down tonight and then a big game to preview. Uh, First game, Florida's big 40-point win over Florida A&M. The second game, a 38-point win over Stetson. Uh, Florida really got well after a tough weekend in Portland at the PK. 85 Phil Knight legacy event where the Gators finished sixth and went one and two. Um, Florida came home from that, had a red eye, um, got one short abbreviated practice in and uh, went out and played Florida A&M. And I think one thing that they just kind of wanted to emphasize in that game was, Hey, let's get out there and, and play some good defense. Uh, Let's get on the glass again. Um, and Florida did both those things, you know, 11 offensive rebounds against the Rattlers out rebounded Florida and M 37, 28 Florida was obviously a bigger team, but I think, you know, this was an interesting game in particular because the Gators didn't get a ton from their front court. Colin Castleton had 11 points, uh, but you know, was a really willing passer. Uh, just stuff the stats, stat sheet, 11 points, six rebounds, five assists, four blocks. And that's the kind of line that, you know, when Colin's going to give you that, you're going to feel pretty good about your, your chances of winning a basketball game. And that's where Florida was. Uh, but not a lot of point production. C.J. Felder, the other starter, didn't score. So it was a game for Florida's backcourt offensively to kind of shine. And, uh, you know, we could get into Trey Bottom first. Uh, I think the biggest thing was Koasey Reeves returned to the lineup. Koasey played 29 minutes, which was a team high. It just looked like a different player uh, than we've seen thus far this season. 29 minutes for Koasey and uh, three of seven from deep, three of five on his catch and shoots. Yeah, I'm going to keep tracking that, y'all. Uh, 19 points, four rebounds, three assists, just a really – Really good performance by him. And he wasn't even the best Gator on the floor, which seems like a good time to bring in my main man, Eric Fawcett, uh, who 
probably saw a little of that FAMU game as well that we're getting into here and 40-point Gator win. And look, anytime you go seven of seven from deep, you're the best player on the floor. So Trey Bonham, um, man, he's he's ha- he's on a heater this month. Yeah, I think he's been excellent. And 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 one thing that's going to be really interesting um, to see is as Trey Bonham commands minutes, something that we kind of expected um, that would happen. I I, I think when we were let, – let's back it up. When we were talking in the offseason about the fact that we thought Trey Bonham was going to command more minutes, I think we kind of thought that that was going to mean less Kyle Lofton minutes because I think we thought that Trey Bonham was going to be best at that point guard the position he played before coming to Florida. Um, what has happened instead is that he took Kwesi Reeves minutes and, you know, in, insert whatever wings you want to say, Niles Lane, Myron Jones, whatever it is. Um, he got in there at the two while he was successful in that role. I still think he's probably best as a true point guard and to see him in these games without Kyle Lofton um, playing really, really well in that role. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. So I, I, I'm curious, Neil, how much um, of his success in this game, you know, because he also had success playing next to Kyle Lofton as, as a two guard. Um, when, when you see him have a game like that, how much do you think, if any, it has to do with the fact he was getting to play point guard? Well, I think it has a little bit to do with it because what we've seen with Trey is, And it's something you alluded to in the offseason is that part of the reason that he is comfortable as a point guard is similar to the reasons that Tyree Appleby is comfortable as a point guard, right? Like at Wake Forest or at Florida, Um, just a guy that is explosive off the bounce and can get in and create. The other thing is, um, I mean, obviously right now he's, he's on a heater shooting the ball, but he shot the ball well at VMI. And one of the things that we complimented Eric was his shot selection. And like, I still think like it's pretty good. I mean, you know, I thought he kind of forced one in the sets and game to open the game, which we'll get to. Um, but you know, if you go seven for seven, like Pat Bradley said on the broadcast, like you're probably going to just let her rip uh, out of the gate. If anybody knows about that, it's, it's Pat Bradley. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, he, there, there are aspects of his game that are ball dominant. Right. Um, and it's not just that he's a great player in the pick and roll, which, which we know analytically he is. It's that uh, he's effective at getting into the paint. And then he has that, you know, step back that Trey Mann had uh, that wasn't necessarily Tyree's shot. I mean, Tyree, when he was in the zone would hit it. Uh, bottoms is a little more fluid but there are some similarities between those two players. And I think playing the one is helping him. I'm interested in what happens when, when Kyle's back feels better. Yeah. I I just really think the team is going to be at their best with some of their, well, as many of their big time wings in the game um, as possible. So I think for us, that certainly includes uh, Kwesi Reeves. Um, We can argue what other kind of wing pieces I thought, Alex Fudge playing the four out there, the starting group, of course, looked pretty good. I, I think that Florida looking as long and athletic at, at the two to four is, is going to be a, a good look. And then when it comes to that point guard position, um, man, if, if, you know, if Trey Bonham's continuing to do his thing, I, I, I do think it's, it should mean less minutes for, for Kyle Lofton. And that's no problem with, with Kyle Lofton's game. It's just, um, I, again, it's, it's one of those things you even look back at, at a, some of Florida's losses this season where 
I think that Kyle Lofton was tasked with taking some shots that he's not very equipped to take in situations where he was trying to go one-on-one and force shots at the end of Xavier at the end of, of Florida Atlantic. I'm not saying if you just go one for one and put Trey Bonham in that situation, that Florida wins both of those games, but you know, he definitely Trey Bonham could have turned a possession in a way that, that Kyle Lofton couldn't. So I'm really interested to see if, if Trey Bonham ends up commanding some minutes and if it's not away from another wing, if it's, if it's going to be from, from Kyle Lofton again, I just think it's a shot makers game, especially at the end of close games. I think that that's, Trey Bonham's probably the best player um, at that on the team. Um, someone could argue Quasi Reeves, but I, I think that just kind of the the speed to get to where he wants uh, makes even the the smaller Trey Bonham maybe even better the, at that. And then if you're going to look at okay, let's build it around one of the best pick and roll ball handlers in, in Trey Bonham, you want spot up shooters, and that's not Kyle Lofton. So the the fit has been okay with them together, but um, yeah, I, I think point Trey Bonham is is something that will have to happen. I think it probably starts with um, I, I would like to see 40 minutes of the point guard position played by Kyle Lofton and, and Trey Bonham personally. Um, the Byron Jones there um, again, we can talk about it. It's not like it's been completely disastrous. It's just that you've got two point guards that I think should be playing as much point guard as possible, uh, not away from the ball. So uh that it's going to be interesting. I mean, of course, uh, rotations have already been uh, uh, been uh, been a discussion point, and it's going to continue to be that. I would say in the in the past, it's it's been oh man, we don't have guys that can fill the the roles that that we think the Gators need. At least in this situation, right. it's like hey, you've got two good point guards. Um, where, how should they be utilized next to a bunch of wings that we also think should be playing? So a little different from podcast we've or a discussion we've had on this podcast in 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 past years, but. Uh, yeah, the conversation about uh, about lineups it's it's gonna it's gonna continue. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some pretty wild takes on on uh, on Kyle Lofton, I guess early, and like I feel like, you know, Florida has been pretty darn good in two man game and pick and roll when Kyle's on the floor, um, and I think some of these takes are more oriented to what you're talking about, Eric, where he is forcing things offensively or he takes like that low line drive three and it hits the front of the iron. And, you know, it's not necessarily what his game is. What's impressed me is that, you know, he came as a three time all Atlantic 10 player. We've talked about that league. It's a pretty good league. Um, You know, it's certainly probably the best with all respect to the WCC. It's probably the best of the mid major leagues um, or certainly usually one of the two best. Right. Um, and I think he came with three time, the three time all Atlantic 10 player, two time all Atlantic 10 defensive team. And it's Trey Bonham out there. That's been more pesky defensively. I mean, he's his steal percentage is higher. He has more steals. His points per possession against is better. Uh, so what do you think of that? Cause that's why I, I sent you a, Letting the listeners behind the fourth wall, I sent Eric a message that, about how I was getting some Tremont Waters vibes from uh, from Bottoms' play early, where you know it was Waters who essentially came on, and Will Wade just couldn't take him out of games because he was so productive, um, and that's how he ended up becoming you know All SEC as a freshman, and LSU ended up being really good as they just kind of found something by plug and play, which is what Florida seems to have done here. 
Well, in terms of his defense, I mean, I would say that my re- reaction to that is uh, very pleasantly surprised. And and again, it's something that I'm sure Trey Bonham's coaching staff at VMI told him he needed to be a better defender. I bet when he came to Florida, Florida's coaching staff said like, hey, we need you to be a better defender. And obviously he's a very smart player who knows what he needs to do to get on the floor and be successful when he signed up to play at Florida and play in the SEC. I think he knew like, okay, I've been getting buckets. I'm outstanding in the pick and roll. I think he understands, you know, where he needed to get better. So um, I was certainly someone who, who wasn't a big fan of the defense at, at VMI. And I was definitely concerned about how that was going to translate. But um, I, I think one thing that we never did question with him is uh, he's really strong for his size and he's really quick. And I think he's just used those positive traits um, to just get um, uh, be a little bit better with anticipation, um, to be a little uh, smarter, especially away from the ball, rotating and using that speed. And I think maybe if I were to say like, oh, I, I how did I miss this? Because I was someone who thought his defense wasn't very good and was concerned. Like maybe just chalk it up to the fact that like, he's still young and we just saw him play a whole bunch of minutes of VMI as a young point guard. And that's tough to do. And right. as with another, you know, year under his belt, he's just gotten better. And um, I don't think I've had any big problems with his defense. In fact, there's been many good moments with his defense where uh, at times when Florida has been defending poorly, I haven't looked at him and thought that that was an issue. So uh, seeing him kind of just like get into guys in, in ball screen defense, I think that's been great. Um, just like as a help defender, um, closing out really well in the gap and 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 eliminating extra pass. It's it's been all good for him. So again, I think it's one of those things like when we're talking about the point guard position and and who we think might be able to to command some at the end of the games. It's like I, I think we kind of knew that Trey Bottom would score, and the question is what's his defense going to look like? And right now he's scoring a ton and his defense is good. So uh, he's, he's, he's been outstanding. Um, I, I think it's pretty interesting. I mentioned on the podcast with, with Malik Grady that I thought that Will Richard has been the second best Gator and uh, he point or uh, in a group message he has, he shared something from, from Evan Mia um, who of course were big fans of his website that um, has his kind of like catch all, ranking system for players and it has Trey Bonham as the second best Gator. And if someone wanted to argue that um, I would certainly, uh, I would certainly listen to that because he's been excellent. Yeah, no, I think that's really fair. Um, And, you know, Richard obviously misses the FAMU game uh, with, with some sort of injury and open up time for other players. Florida got 43 points from their bench in that game. Um, and, And I think the big, obviously the big, the big contribution came from Alex Fudge, who parlayed a, a double-double with two blocks, uh, 16 points, 10 rebounds, into a start um, against Stetson. So Florida, you know, takes C.J. Felder, puts him into the sixth-man role, uh, puts Alex Fudge back into the starting lineup for the Stetson game. But, um, you know, Fabio is not, not athletic. Uh, it's just Alex Fudge is sort of a different breed of basketball player. Uh, and and in these games against lesser competitions, he's feasting. Yeah, it's been like, especially that first game against Stony Brook, he had some like hilarious moments of out-athleting everyone on the floor. And there's a little bit of that the last couple of games as well. And um, and hey, it's awesome. I'm glad he's doing that and, and using those physical gifts. I think, I think we're all just waiting for him to channel that a little bit more to uh, – um, to when the Gators play some some big time competition. So hey, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, 
moving forward these next couple of weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see who's, who starts um, while the lineup decisions and, and conversations um, continue just to see like, what are the, what are the Gators going to want to do now that they get against some better competition. But uh, it's, and, and again, we saw it against Stony Brook too, where he had a couple of like floaters from like 10 feet from the rim where he just rose up and was like two feet above everyone else. And like, shot like what was essentially just like a very uncontested form shooting jumper. Cause he's just so much longer and athletic. Of course, the offensive reboundings route rebounding was there. So it, it was wonderful to see. And I think maybe he could use that for his confidence and, and everything like that, but I'll yeah. be, uh, but I'll be really interested to see what the Gators uh, kind of go to uh, against better competition. Um, I think we both, or at least I mentioned, I don't, I don't remember your thoughts exactly, but I was liking CJ Felder with, uh, with that starting group as uh, the kind of consummate glue guy, almost shades of will you get at times um, from like not big statistical impact, but moving the ball, defending physicality. Um, and then, I mean, you get fudge in the game and it's just like athleticism, energy, spark. Um, so it's two ex- extremely different looks, but after you've seen the, the Alex fudge starting experience, um, what do you, what do you kind of feel about uh, the starting power forward position? Yeah, I mean, I thought Alex played well enough against FAMU to earn a start. Um, you know, I think that that's great. If you get 16 and 10 off the bench in 20 minutes, you know, I'm probably going to start you in the next game. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that it's not – C.J. Felder hasn't done anything wrong. There's nothing that he – you know, he does all the little things as the cliche goes, and and he uh, is certainly one of Florida's best defenders – remains one of Florida's best defenders, uh, a solid rebounder, a willing passer. You know, I think he's going to have that role and there's no risk of his minutes falling off. I mean, I think he's going to continue to play 13 to 20 minutes a night um, no matter what. And he should. Uh, I think what was interesting to me is, you know, a, another guy that sort of feasted against lesser competition was Jason Jatobo. And he's a guy who we continue to wonder okay, we know the big fella has great hands. We know he's got nice feet. You know, when are we going to see this against good teams? Because it's great that he can come out against (coughs) FAMU, excuse me, and and get seven and four and have a couple assists and even grab a couple steals by just being disruptive and using his quick feet on entry passes. But, you know, we haven't seen any of that from Jason against a quality opponent. So what are your thoughts on what Florida's doing there in terms of interior minutes? Because for me, that's the answer to the C.J. Felder question, is that against better teams, it really needs to be more C.J. Felder and less Jason Totobo for me, if we're going to debate rotations. Yeah, um, I've expressed my skepticism of of Jatobo working at, at the highest level, uh, which is sad because we love him. I, I love him. I think his personality is fantastic. And he's his, 100%. Story, his, his story has been excellent and he's overcome a, a lot of stuff to, to be at this position. And um, I, I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope he's an outstanding player at the high major level, but I, I remain skeptical. And I, I do think we saw it even again, when he had to, get in against against West Virginia. I, and again, there was a lot of things going wrong for a lot of Gators and the Gators as a team. But oh my goodness, defensively was he, a, it, it, it was bad. Um, that was just an example, I think, of 
if, if you want, you know, if, if, if all my kind of every time I've ever said, I have kind of questions about, about how he's going to, you know, work at, at the high major level, I would say the times he was on the floor defensively, um, that, that that's one to look at. And he even like, you know, he was able to put up points and some rebounds in, in the minutes he got there. But again, the, the opportunity cost of having in, him in the game is, is just so high. So um, I, I still would prefer more backup CJ Felder minutes. And, and again, that's something that we didn't really see last year. Um, this coaching staff is, uh, it, there's been a couple of rotations where he's, he's been in there. It'll be interesting once again, when we get into like sec play, uh, which I mean, will really be when a lot of our questions are answered because this is a coaching staff still trying to figure out what they've got and, and what combinations of players work. But um, I, by the time it gets there, I think that a little bit more backup CJ Felder five minutes is, is, is going to be the way to go. Um, with uh there's another thing too that like just about the way that jason jatobo plays is like when he's in the game i feel that they they're like okay he's in the game and his best ability is to just you know play some bully ball on the inside and score over smaller players so it's like when he's in the game like they've got to use him and again that's gonna work against lower level competition but there's just times where it's like i'd want the offense to go through through other guys and uh yeah, the defense just kind of is what it is. But hey, it was great to see him knock down a three. Crowd loved that. Block some shots. That's what he's. That's what he's going to need to do. Um, re- respectfully to to him, there's probably not anything he could do against Florida A and M and Stetson that's going to change my opinion of him. That isn't to say my opinion on him is is completely just locked and nothing's going to change my mind. But yeah, it's just you know the situation is playing against six foot seven bigs at at that level. Um, yeah, there's just you know he could have gone for a whole bunch more points and a whole bunch more rebounds that I don't think we would, you know, I think there'd still be part of us that are saying like, okay, well, like let's see what happens Wednesday. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of remain unmoved there would could go for a little bit more of like, Hey, there's, you know, 80 minutes between the four and five spot. Can that go like 32 to Colin Castleton, you know, 30 to CJ Felder and whatever the rest that is 28. No, I did that math wrong. 18 or I don't know. I, I'm, I'm blank, but to the rest <laughs> to Alex Fudd, um, <laughs> probably, I'm probably looking at like, could we, could you just kind of survive with the, with the three men or we could get into one more thing with, you know, the six with seven Kowasi series, if you want to get small though, I, you know, I would like to, I do think this team's going to be better with a little bit more, more size of the four. Yeah, no, I think they are better with more size at the four, and that's kind of why I would defer to, to CJ on this stuff uh, as we move closer to conference play. Who knows? Maybe Jason will show us that this skill set translates in power six basketball games, but it really hasn't yet. And so, you know, until I see it, I guess, uh, I – I won't believe it, I suppose. Um, and I'd love to see it, man. I mean, I already said I'm naming my next pet, Jason <laughs> Jatobo. Um, you know, it feels like I need to get like a fat cat or something. Not that, you know, Jason's uh, – you, you get the point. I'm burying myself under a giant hole here. But, like, I feel like I need a big, like, Heathcliff-type cat named Jason Jatobo because mm. that three – that was so pure against Stetson. Like, it wasn't even, like – a Colin Castleton like Rattler that you hope goes down. Like that was just buckets. Um, so man, I, I hope I see it. One little last note for the FAMU game. You know, I'm going to get my plug in uh, FAMU six of eight from deep with uh, Niles Lane, not on the floor. Um, 
two of 10 from deep with Niles Lane on the floor. Uh, and Todd Golden after the game compliments Florida's ability to defend the perimeter and help and avoid letting FAMU get good looks, especially in the second half. Well, gee, I wonder why that was. Um, so there's my one shameless uh, podcast plug about, you know, maybe improving your perimeter defense. And I will say that that's probably a great transition to Stetson too, because like the Hatters were all sorts of out of sorts against the Gators. Uh, they had turnovers on their first three possessions. They had turnovers on four of their first six possessions. They only average eight turnovers a game. So this is like a Donnie Jones team that takes care of the ball. They had five turnovers by the first media timeouts. And a lot of it, I think, was searching for perimeter shots. Like, they couldn't really get them. They only hit four of 17. So Florida just collectively did a really good job of, of guarding the arc in these two games. Yeah, you know, I just mentioned that it was kind of one of those situations against Florida A&M where it's like, it's, it's, it's too bad, but it's like, it doesn't really matter what, what Florida did. I, I don't think that like was going to tell us a lot more about the team. And to some extent, I, I still kind of feel that against Stetson, but on the other hand, I just really am happy to see that they came in with what I thought was a really good game plan and then they executed it. And that's one of those things that like, if you're going to play a team that you should dominate, you want to see a team one come in with a good game plan and two execute that game plan. And I thought the Gators did that. So uh, pretty happy about as happy as, as I could have been um, given the, the circumstance of yeah playing a team like Stetson where uh, Stetson's good at two things that, that Florida has struggled with uh, shooting the three pointer and running out in transition. And, and the Gators uh, completely took away kind of both of those things. And, and it's, I don't have the numbers exactly, but like they were on, they were on track to shoot like way less than 17 three pointers, but got, you know, several off kind of in, in garbage time of, of course, garbage time starting uh, uh, very early in that one. Um, so, so I think Florida got like an A plus for limiting three point shots and uh, you know, probably close to that same grade in transition defense as well. So uh, full, full credit to, to the team for uh, that. You know, I think we have had showed a, a little bit of, uh, we skepticism about some of the game plan they, they came into some games with so far this season. And of course the execution hasn't always been there. Um, well, I would say they, uh, they did very, very well against Stetson and, and definitely deserve credit from, uh, from the players to the coaching staff on that one. Yeah, I thought so too. I think I sent out a tweet at halftime referencing something about, I forget what I said, but I thought Florida's plan was really good. Like Stetson does not play fast. They take care of the ball. Um, they really kind of play like an older Billy Donovan team um, that had the like slower tempos, contrary to the mythical narrative of Billy the Kid's uh, go speed racer Tasmanian Devil offense. Like Florida was in the 300s in tempo, pretty much half of Donovan's not, no, pretty much the last five years Billy was there. Um, and this team was, Stetson team is similar. They also are, they're very good at, at screening. Um, and they set a lot of really effective high ball screens, Eric, and, and get good looks and they knock them down. They had a kid that I coach Stefan Swanson, who can really shoot it. Um, Florida kind of took him out of the game, uh, altogether. He had a, he had a rough one. Um, he did not have a rough one up in Tallahassee when they beat the Seminoles. So 
you know, that's a team that can shoot. That's a team that was 87th in Hoopland's offensive efficiency, which for a low major team is really good. Eric can uh, attest to that. They're like, came into the game 102nd in Kimpom offense, which is also a pretty darn good number considering the algorithm is baked in a little bit still from last year. So that was a good defensive performance, and Todd Golden said so. And I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on rotations, but I will kick back that, like, C.J. Felder fudge thought. You know, C.J. was plus 18 off the bench, which was Florida's best performance off the bench. So certainly they got a spark from Felder coming off the bench, which really, to me, speaks to that, like, blue guy thing. Like, C.J. is just going to play no matter what his role is. Yeah, that's that's the one thing for sure about about CJ Felder is like I I don't think it matters when or where they play him in their rotation. They they know exactly what they're going to get. So it's going to be a matter of like, well, do they want that to start or do they want that off off the bench? And uh, um, whereas um, Fudge, I think is is a little bit more um, like the first word I was going to say is erratic. That sounds like it has such negative connotations. But I think you even saw in this game where like it was the second half where he like just started to like start toying with them a little bit and um, had a huge kind of surge on his own there. So. Uh, yeah, that was, but good to note that CJ Felder was def- definitely at his, at his best. Um, I also thought like uh, to some of the, some of the movement um, away from the ball for, for guys like Kwesi Reeves and, and, and even Riley Kugel had some good moments though. He um, ended missing, uh, ending up missing a couple at the rim. Like um, I thought, I thought Florida was also pretty prepared for for that defense that that Stetson was going to throw out. Um, which again is like, I, I'm still like, I promise you people, like at some point I'll do some, um, I'll do a video or something on, on, on Florida's offense. Um, well, at least their man to man offense. Um, but they're playing so many, so much zone against these, against these mid and low major teams that there, there hasn't been enough, uh, good stuff recently, but eventually I will do that. But I do think that Florida, um, was prepared for that. And, and, uh, I, I think it was good to see Will Richard back. Um, of course, um, he's someone that I think the Gators are, are going to need. He of course knocked down a bunch of shots because that's what he does. And I think he contributed to the defense, um, though it's not like he played a ton of minutes. So the, the defensive tone was even set, you know, before he was in the game. So if you would have told me that Florida was going to have like one of their better defensive efforts, uh, I would have thought, okay, well, you know, Will Richard's back and he probably played a really key role in that. I mean, of course, like when Will Richard was on the floor, he did, but it was also the, the other guys who maybe haven't been as good as Will Richard defensively that, that, that played really well. So, um, yeah, I think I think the Gators probably just could have used an, an encouraging kind of game like that um, against a team that's yeah a yes. little bit better than Florida A and M, where like I'm sure they felt great hammering Florida A and M like that, but they probably felt a lot better you know hammering Stetson. And uh, this is a team that could use some confidence after after what's kind of happened in Portland going into you know what's upcoming. Yeah, speaking of confidence, um, Myron Joe is still playing a lot of minutes. Um, I guess like. Neil Black on Saturday Night South is just going to have to take his medicine on that. Um, but <laughs> he he did hit shots the last couple games. Uh, two or three from deep against Stetson. Three or four from deep against FAMU. So I don't know how many of his like Penn State heaters lasted three games, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. And boy, it would be great if they did <laughs> this time. But it is nice to see the ball go in for him. Yeah, it is, and and I, I, again, this that that is one of the things as we decide. Well, so, someone might be someone might be listening to this and and be somewhere between rolling their eyes and just genuinely being upset and 
um, you know, disagreeing with me as it probably seems like I'm picking and choosing my spots of like what is fair yeah. to take away against games like this and what I think like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens. It wouldn't change my opinion. Uh, like it's great to see Myron Jones knock down shots, but I would put that under the category of things. Like to me, it's like, you know, he was able to to get his feet set against a zone and, and, and line up some threes. And he's been notoriously yeah. streaky for his entire career. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's great. It's great to see. I'm very happy for him, but the thing with him is always going to be no matter how many shots he knocks down, is he providing plus defense or is it going to be negative defense? Is he going to be a adequate ball handler or is he going to be a below average ball handler that isn't getting guys involved? So, um, happy, happy to see. Um, I would say when you shoot the ball like that for a couple of games, um, maybe my desire to see him in the game against UConn goes from not at all to like, uh, eh, maybe. Um, so I'll say it, it's, it's, it's moved the needle for me barely, but not a ton. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I just wanted to point out that he made some shots. I think the last point that I wanted and I wrote down to make, um, was, and you alluded to it earlier, uh, as I would expect from Eric Fawcett, but Florida's transition defense was so much better in these two games. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to get into that little discussion point that we had where like mid-major coaches need to adjust a little bit. And Jacob Rudner 24 seven did a nice little piece uh, about one such adjustment where Todd Golden was traditionally sending three and a half bodies to the offensive glass at San Francisco came to Florida Send in three and a half bodies to the offensive glass. And after they got ripped apart by every power six team they've played so far in transition and one not power six team, he decided to take a body away and adjust to now 2.5, he said. And Florida's transition defense allows their least points they've allowed all year. Now, these aren't great opponents. So let's see if that adjustment works but it is nice to see and i think kind of speaks to the point where todd is like whoa something i did at san francisco might not work at this level yeah i mean like first first of all like that was awesome from from jacob i think he is just pumping out amazing work i think he's as good um i think he might be the best right now in, in writing about basketball um so i i think he's excellent we'll have him on the show uh, more so uh Full credit to him. And I will also say full credit to Todd Golden for like giving like real answers to questions. <laughs> like it would have been so easy for him to be like, oh, you know, effort and, you know, rebounding is toughness. And like, we got, you know, <laughs> right. we got to, we got to run back harder in transition. And not to say that that's all coaches think about, but that's normally the answers they give because they don't want to talk about the fact that like, oh, usually our offensive rebounding philosophy is to send our fours and fives to either side of the block and then put a third player at the nail. Like most coaches wouldn't give an answer that specific. And I was just also very happy to hear golden give an awesome answer that like was just honest. Um, So credit to Jacob uh, credit to coach. Cause that was, uh, I love that. Um, It is interesting that Florida who we probably thought would be awesome on the offensive glass at this point has been um, not very good. Um, they're 211th now. And I think that they got, um, I think they got a whole bunch of off, uh, not a whole bunch. I think they offensive rebound pretty well against Stetson. I think that they were a lot lower than that. I, I forget what it was, but whatever it is, like, even as, as it stands, Florida is 211th in offensive rebounding, which I do think is like 
not where you think this this team would be at. So yeah, so Florida has not been good on the offensive glass. That was also I like that 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 coach was like, hey, like normally you send guys to the offensive glass and you're willing to give up some transition defense in order to get those second chance possessions. And like, we weren't getting second chance possessions and we weren't, you know, of course we were then giving up transition opportunities. So I did like that. He was, um, was able to see that like, Hey, this is not working on, on both sides. So like uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was nice to see, see him change up strategy based off what's happened. Um, that's something we, we love to see from our coaching staff. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, again, by the time we get to SEC play, um, which is, yeah, I've got to say, it's a bit of a concern that we thought Florida is going to be really good on the offensive glass. They're playing bigger. They're playing more athletic. They got more wings in the last couple of years and, uh, they haven't been good on the offensive glass against competition that hasn't been super high. So, um, maybe that's just not something we, we see. It's not that you, you know, you don't necessarily have to be great on the offensive glass to be, to, to win in, in college basketball, but it certainly helps. And uh, if it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's like if, if Florida continues to not be great on the offensive glass, um, you'd like to see them be a lot better in transition defense. And Hey, at least we, uh, we saw that in, uh, in, in, in day one of the new offensive rebounding slash transition defense philosophy. Yeah. I mean, uh, now the key I think is, we need to see it work against a good team. Um, and I, I think Stetson is okay, but I mean, like, you know, I, again, still talking about a team that's probably going to finish in the middle of the a sun. Uh, so like, let's see, let's see it against a good team. One thing Florida has done. Okay. Is well, and I, you know, I don't know how low the bar is at this point, uh, quite honestly, um, but Florida was just abused on the offensive glass last season. A big reason they didn't make the NCAA tournament is they gave up so many offensive rebounds. And um, they're doing okay in that department. They're just not, as Eric said, grabbing a lot of their own. Um, so it's kind of come out as a wash. They Look, Florida's going to have to hit on all cylinders with what's coming up. Um, you know, it's finals. They've got this game against UConn to close reading days uh, and then they go right into finals uh, and they come out and they play Ohio um, in Tampa and Ohio is decent, but Connecticut is marvelous. Florida has zero wins over anyone in the Kim Palm or Bart Torvik top 100. Uh, Florida's O and three in those games. Now, fortunately for Florida in, in both Hooplands and Bart Torvik, they have three top 50 losses because um, we told you that FAU was good. Um, but, uh, yeah. Oh, and three in those games, man. Um, and now they're going to play the number five team in the country at home and at nine o'clock start time. I've already seen some grumbling on Twitter about it, you know, which reminds me all the time that like my vision of a diehard basketball school, uh, does not (laughs) coexist with reality as much as I, as much as I wish it did. Like in my, like, vision board in my head it's like a ten thousand. it's a sellout and it's a madhouse and you know whatever but it probably won't be a sellout and there will be a lot of yukon fans because there will be uh but it's a great opportunity for the gators wednesday night against uh, a team that was picked to finish third in the big east and now kind of looks like the big east favorite yeah, absolutely. So the net uh, rankings were released today for the first time and UConn is second. So uh, while again, there's still some anomalous things about the net uh, this early. Um, I think that saying that, that 
UConn is, is the second best team. Um, I think that is completely, uh, completely uh, reasonable. Um, I will, uh, if you allow me, Neil, I'm just going to just quickly recap Connecticut season so far. So, um, you know, they played Stonehill and, and Boston. They kill both of those teams in, in by games. They play a pretty good Buffalo team. They kill them. They go play another bye game with uh, a really good mid-major in UNC Wilmington. Um, they kill them. Delaware State's one of the worst teams in college basketball, so they kill them. Um, so they go to play Oregon, who looks pretty good, and they bludgeon them. They then play an Alabama team that we think is going to be really good. They beat them by 15, dominate them. Play Iowa State, who's been, who has been really good. Um, they beat them by 18, so they kill them. And then they just play Oklahoma State, who's good, and they beat them by 10. So they are just bludgeoning everyone right now. They're 9-0. They look awesome. Like the metrics absolutely love them. Um, killing a bunch of good teams will do that. Um, I test wise, I think they are excellent. Like you watch them play and they are fast. They're physical. Um, they play a really complex offensive system. Uh, yeah, they, they look outstanding. And, and, you know, I've had, I haven't been the hugest kind of Dan Hurley fan in the last couple of years. I just haven't always loved his roster makeups. I haven't loved the stuff that they run offensively. Um, you know, he's got that demeanor on the sideline, which is not endearing, I would say. But you watch how this team plays and uh, yeah, they are they are the real deal. I think they are outstanding and uh, that's why they're the uh, number two team in the net right now. Yeah, second in the net, fifth in the AP poll, which is pretty meaningless, but people look at it when it's it's a nice little digit that they put on the screen when when you play. Um, and as Eric said, just absolutely crushing people. Look, one thing I'll tell people is like they were pretty good last year. They were at least like if if you like computers and analytics, which Todd Goldman does and this show does, like Metrics loved them last season. Now they ran into kind of a buzzsaw, like the worst possible matchup for them is what the committee gave them. And it played out that way, especially um, inside with uh, foul trouble. So they lose to New Mexico state. The game gives New Mexico state's head coach, the Miss state job <laughs> and uh, Dan Hurley loses. And like, if you lose in the first round at UConn, it's like the world ends in stores. So they kind of came into this year, like, and by no means was Dan Hurley under any sort of real pressure from the administration. But I think people wanted to see like this team make a deep run because they felt like with Adama Sonogo inside, they had an all American and it was just about like, can we get some guys around him to play better? And pretty much what's happened is like they've hit on everything around him. And to me, maybe, maybe it's different for you, Eric. I don't know, but to me, it starts with their top 50 recruit from just a year ago, Jordan Hawkins, who has gone from averaging like five points a game to just looking super explosive and being one of the better players in college basketball early this season. Yeah, that certainly helps um, for sure. And I think for them, you look at some of their teams kind of recently, it's just been like scrappy guards and physical five men and they're really tough to play against, but they've lacked a little bit of that that kind of higher end skill. And, and he's someone who completely brings it, bringing shooting that they haven't had for the last couple of years. Uh, they got a couple of guys kind of 
bringing that, but uh, yeah, bringing uh, and and I think that kind of he starts, you know, you like just looking the piece of like a future NBA player at, at, at six foot five shooting the ball um, fluid. So I, I think that he brings just something that like when I think of what UConn basketball has been recently, like he doesn't fit that mold, but, and I mean that in like a, a, a positive way. Um, same as uh, Joey Calcaterra, um, who is again, like a transfer from San Diego who like, uh, he's like from California and just has a complete, like different, like shooting 59% for the three point line, just like a completely different feel than like what UConn has had recently. So they've got a little bit of that shooting and that offensive talent, but they haven't sacrificed any of that, any of that toughness. And then you look at, you know, you look at that front court, that's just loaded with athletes, with physicality, with athleticism. Um, they check a lot of boxes. It's, it's the kind of team that like, not that I want to like, get too early talking about but this is one of those teams that like it, we're going to be looking at our brackets in march and there's not going to be many matchups that you would be like oh man that's going to be it's gonna be a tough matchup for yukon or like how do they match up with this or like oh are they gonna you know struggle with this just because like they've got some shooting they've got a lot of size they've got athleticism they've got ball handlers like uh they check a whole bunch of boxes and uh i think that's what has us uh very excited for this game because you these are the games you you know want to see florida compete in but it certainly got us uh pretty scared i'd say yeah, I mean, look, they they couldn't get Sonogo going in the NCAA tournament. He got two fouls real early in the game, and Hurley made the, I think, questionable decision to sit him um, with two fouls. He finished the game with two fouls, by the way. Uh, <laughs> of but, course. But he sat five he, – yeah, he sat five minutes in the first half, and that's when New Mexico State built their lead. Um, and then New Mexico State did a wonderful job schematically of denying entry passes. Uh, which Florida won't probably try to do because they have Colin Castleton. Uh, but I think Florida should try to do that. A huge difference for them this year. And Eric just alluded to it a little bit, but, um, you know, they have a freshman named Donovan Klingen who's playing about 15 minutes. And it's really helped them, Eric, because it has freshened Sonogo up. Um, and I think made him more effective. And it also means that they can go with waves of bigs, uh, which in college basketball tends to just be absolutely devastating. Yeah, and I and and Klingon is seven foot two and like two hundred and sixty pounds. So it's like how many teams have the luxury of of taking that guy off the bench? So like you've got Adama Sonogo, who's uh, people probably know his name. He's fifth right now in Ken Palm's Player of the Year algorithm. Oh, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think he's excellent. I think UConn's awesome. I don't totally see it with him as like, you know, a guy who's already getting like, could be player of the year buzz. I think he's a great player. Yeah. I think he plays his role. Do I think he's a top five can like player of the year? No. What I think he's top 10. No, but he's an excellent player. Don't get me wrong. Um, maybe people will laugh at me if he goes for like a million against Florida Wednesday, but um, you know, but he's definitely a little bit more like pure physicality and athleticism. And then like you have him at the five, at like six ten, and then you sub in this, you know, seven foot two Donovan Klingon, who's just like going to seal dudes, like push them right under the hoop. Like there's just times where he was like battling for a position away from the ball in some of these games and just like pushing his defender straight up or straight under the rim and then he would just catch it. And then he just like look up at the rim and, and, and lay it in behind his head. And it's caught, it was comical um, quite frankly. So um, yeah, I would say that they're going to have 40 minutes of very imposing um, center play. And that's, I think that that's when we were talking earlier about like, well, do you think we're going to see Jason Jatobo? Do we like CJ Felder there? Um, 
this is going to be an opportunity where we're really going to see what the Gators think about the backup five position when they're playing a game yeah. that matters and a matchup that matters. Um, Cause I do think that's, yep. that's a big, uh, a big strength of their team and they're going to run actions to get, uh, to get that, those guys deep, uh, deep kind of post seal. So uh, yeah, Florida's uh, five men and who especially have within golden system have been tasked with guarding one-on-one um, they're going to be challenged. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, cause I've said it before on this podcast, I'll say it again. I'm a fan of the, how, how the Gators are kind of letting their big men play in the post one-on-one. Um, so I would, you know, I'd support seeing how that works against these guys, but uh, there's certainly a chance that uh, Sunogo and, and Klingon kind of get going and the Gators might have to do something uncharacteristic and, and send some double teams. Yeah, no, they might. Um, another thing that I love about this UConn team, and we're just gushing about them, but they really are so good, uh, is, you know, and I think Eric mentioned it, this is the best roster that Hurley has constructed. And that seems like a super obvious statement because of the way that they're annihilating people. But I, I mean, I really love the way that they worked in the portal. Uh, Eric, I thought adding Naheem Aline was super mm. smart. Gave him another lethal, like three and D type shooter. Um, and, you know, Florida certainly is familiar with him um, after he had a, terrific game against the Gators in the NCAA tournament. He hasn't gotten going yet. He's only shooting 23% from deep. Um, UConn takes a lot of threes, uh, mostly because they trust their ability to rebound. They're 17th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Uh, So they kind of deal with the fact that, um, you know, they take a ton of threes. They're shooting 36.8% out there, which is a pretty solid percentage, not quite as good as Florida, but pretty good. and then the other piece I really like is Hassan Diara, who absolutely murdered Florida in the SEC tournament last season. Uh, but in fairness to Mike White and Eric Pastrana, like came in shooting about 22% from three and just decided that would be the day he made everything. Buzz Williams said he was the best screener he's ever coached, um, which watch because they love to use him to back screen uh, Eric. Um, and they run a couple different plays out of back screens. They also run a chin series where they'll have um, Diara set a back screen and that sets up like pin down reads. Uh, They do a lot of really cool stuff with back screens, man, and rip screens. So uh, they, they like to ghost in the slot uh, to set that up as well. They'll also use Hassan Diara to do that or Jordan Hawkins is willing to do that um, and has gotten much more capable um, so I really like some of the stuff that Dan Hurley runs offensively as we kind of slip from roster to scheme. I guess I kind of did that by accident while gushing about their roster, but they run good stuff, Eric. Yeah. And, and again, like, I just like, again, the player that I just find I, that I just love watching. And, and again, I, I love when like teams get guys out of the portal that are not the big names, but they go to big programs and play really well. And that's Joey Calcaterra who like, honestly is not a name that was, on my radar he played at san diego um and uh we you know was like a a, a decent shooter um again this is funny because of course like you know florida staff's going to be familiar with him he was like a, a a decent shooter not really a playmaker um and when he goes in the portal and goes to, to uconn as like a, a a six foot two not point guard who shoots the ball okay that's like not the guy that like when uconn lands him that people are like wow that's a stud and not to say that he's been outstanding, but he's been like exactly what they need 
and just a really good piece off the bench shooting the cover off the ball. So like, I, I just like credit where credit's due when you can go out and land a guy that isn't like at the top of everyone's transfer list. And, and he's really, he's really good. Um, I would say that's, that's really effective, but uh, again, scheme wise, it's, it's crazy. Like I've not loved the stuff that they've ran the last couple of years. I don't know if they, I, I, I should look, I should check their staff, see if they've got a new assistant who might be taking over the offense or, or, or what it is. But uh, uh, they went from a team that was uh, pretty vanilla offensively and uh, kind of relied on just like, toughness and getting it off the offensive glass to being a team that runs very complex action. And I tweeted some out. I might just like retweet my own tweet tonight for kicks. So it's more people can see it. But what I really think is impressive is um, they run a lot of actions that have two off ball screening actions at once. So it just is like when you would normally have someone sitting and help when there's a, a split at the 45, well, that person's guarding an exit screen to the opposite corner. So it's just kind of, you know, doesn't have to be rocket science. Well, it's, it's complex, but even if you're listening to this, it's like, well, if you put four guys into off-ball screening actions, it's going to confuse where your help side is. And that's where you get Sunogo slipping to the rim. And, like, there's there's just plays like like UConn has to lead the country. Actually, no, there's some other teams that do this really well. But when you watch UConn play, there's a lot of times where you're going to see the ball get, like, Sunogo's going to slip. He's going to get the ball bounce past him and he's going to have an uncontested dunk. And like everyone on the floor is going to look around and like, be like, you know, throw their palms to the ceiling and say like, what, like where, where was the help? And it's because they just occupy the weak side so well. So it is very different than what they've ran recently. It is very complex. And of course that is a concern for the Gators who uh, we talked about a couple of podcasts ago have not done well handling off ball screening actions. Um, this is a, UConn's are a little bit more, deceptive as opposed to West Virginia where it's like, Hey, you know, this flex screen is coming. Can you handle it? Well, and they got the Gators on it. Um, UConn is going to be a little bit more, they have a little bit more deception to their, to their off ball action. So um, obviously these are the things that are tough to uh, tough to uh, use an audio medium to describe, but I'll probably retweet my tweet where I tweet out some of their actions, but uh, yeah, I don't uh, really see any holes. Neil, if you were to say, what is the, what is the weak point of UConn? I'm not sure. I currently have, have an answer. I'm curious if you think there's anything that's makes them particularly vulnerable or any matchup that you think might, uh, might be heavily in, in the Gators favor. Yeah, I do. I wanted to get into one little more offensive thing. You know, I did just retweet Eric's uh, um, clip of, of UConn. I actually have one I was going to send out to you from Oklahoma state where, and it was something that, uh, speaking of honest answers, like Dan Hurley referenced in the post game, said that they'd been working this triangle concept into their uh, offense, and and that you know they thought that their he he basically said we thought some of our chin series stuff didn't work as well as some of this triangle stuff we've been trying in practice. Uh, so they run this back screen triangle play. Like I said, they love back screens, man. Um, where they get their point guard uh, very high on the floor, almost at the logo. And he passes to Jordan Hawkins on the wing. And usually um, they then use the post as a screen um, and then get somebody popping out to the three-point line uh, with the weak side player screening and the screen player then using the post uh, as a screen. So you can either it's, – it's difficult to, uh, as Eric said, describe this in an audio medium, uh, but it's a pretty fascinating play because you can either get a nice pick-and-pop action or a backdoor guy cutting for a layup. Uh, and they got Oklahoma State on both those alternatives in this game on this action. So I did want to tweak those out because um, 
you know, we, we often kind of make some fun of the triangle offense now, uh, but there's still some stuff in it that, you know, I think with most basketball concepts that kind of have their day, there's still always things you can glean and take from them um, that are effective. And this is certainly a very effective action, Eric. Yeah. And, and uh, it's kind of funny too, because and I don't know if it's happening to the triangle offense. Um, time will tell um, if UConn runs it and like makes a final four, we'll see. But like, it's even like, like nowadays, like Princeton is, is very common again. I'm um, not the truest form of Princeton, but what I would unmistakably call Princeton. And it's like funny because that used to be a term that had negative connotations. Like I remember in like the early years of this podcast, how I tweeted out a bunch of video about when Mike White changed his offense. And I was like, this is Princeton offense. And, you know, Graham Hall or one of the other, you know, excellent media members was like, Hey, like we see you're running some of this Princeton stuff, and Mike White was like, "Oh, like whoa, 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 this, this, uh, this is in Princeton," and I'm like, "Well, like it is," and I thought it was kind of just like because some people still have negative connotations of it being stagnant and slow, <laughs> right. and so, so yes, there's for sure some people that hear hear triangle and be like, "Oh, that's like that's yeah. my grandfather's offense," and that's what you saw watching the last dance during uh, the early uh, days of the pandemic. Um, but <laughs> I, I, again, I just like I, I think there's there's you know there's a reason these offenses work for for so long i'm not suggesting that i think it'd be the best offense for everyone but if you're using um concepts for it and and some of the spacing principles and and you're having success like well uconn's having all kinds of success and uh i did not watch the oklahoma state game i tweeted out all that video before that game i am now very interested to watch it because i want to see this neil so thank you for alerting me to that and uh something else to uh to watch for and maybe be scared of on wednesday yeah no doubt um so it, you asked about a weakness. Like, I really think that to some extent it's Tristan Newton, the East Carolina transfer, who is their point guard. Cole, first team all big East last year. Really, really, really um, good point guard. So now they have Tristan Newton and Andre Jackson. It's their backcourt. Those guys are big, right? Um, This could be a great game, though, if Kyle Lofton is healthy, for Kyle Lofton to kind of make his presence felt because that's the one thing that has has bothered them this year a little bit is is turnovers. Um, You know, he had eight in the Iowa State game in the PK final. Uh, He had two and was just really ineffective uh, against Oklahoma State to the point where they just went ahead and let Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins handle the ball. Um, and it's their first road game. So this is going to be as tough an environment, even on a Wednesday night at nine o'clock as, uh, Tristan Newton has seen in his collegiate career, um, with all due respect to whatever he saw at East Carolina on the road. Um, so, you know, maybe that's where there's an advantage for Florida, particularly, uh, with Kyle Lofton, a really elite collegiate defender. And then right now, you know, Trey Bonham just kind of playing the way he is because that's kind of been the one little area where I think Connecticut can even be better. And it's pretty frightening to think about that considering how they're annihilating people. Um, But I do think, you know, the turnover numbers kind of speak for themselves. One more thing about um, not that we need to keep getting into the X's and O's of, of UConn, but one thing I will just say really quickly is that one of their big successes defensively is that they've been running teams off the line and just having them get swallowed up um, by the really good help side of like Sunogo or uh, 
um, or Klingon or Alex Caravan, who's a, another like really good looking freshman. Um, but so I, I'm just going to pull the exact number. I should just open Ken Palm and see. So they are fifth in the country in three point three point uh, three pointers against like meaning like they're 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 good at limiting them so like only that's 20, really good only 27 percent of opponent shots against some of them three pointers so like they're going to run teams off the line so it's going to be interesting to see who can handle that from kind of florida's perimeter standpoint who can get ran off the line and like come to a jump stop and make a really good decision not force up an ugly floater or take an off balance you know one dribble into a very long two-point shot like that that I think is going to be kind of the story for for Florida's offense. Um, so that'll be that'll be kind of a kind of really interesting to see um, for them. But it's interesting, you know, that that matchup is just kind of something I was thinking about too. If you're to- talking about Florida's point guards, especially where like it's it's certainly like there's not going to be many catch and shoot three opportunities, but Florida might get into late clock and and maybe it's going to be who can who can kind of uh, create that opportunity and uh, and 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 score. Um, one more note about the, the start time. Like, Hey, like I'm not the biggest like night owl myself, but it's just like, this isn't college football. And like games are like roughly two hours long. I think a nine Eastern tip is like pretty awesome. Like personally, it's kind of like being on the West coast where like games start later. Yeah. And you can like do what you need to. And then like settle in at like nine o'clock in a game. So that's the thing I just like, like about being on 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 the west coast when you like have the opportunity to watch watch sports and how so i don't know it's just one of those things where it's like i i just saw a lot of people complaining like you said on twitter about the start time and it's like a lot of people that like i know are not central florida people so they're not going to the game so they're talking about just like watching it on tv and to me like watching that game from <laughs> sounds awesome like I, I don't know like i i would like to see more of like those tip times to like get into what I'm sure is like functionally prime time for a lot of the age of people that are watching college basketball anyways. So I have no problem with it, but maybe that's yeah. just the, the mountain standards guy in me talking. That's like <laughs> that, that seven o'clock tip for me is a little nicer than, than five. So maybe, maybe I'm secretly biased, but like, Hey, it's not like this game's going to go till 1am. It's going to go till like 1110. So anyways, I like the start time. Um, I wanted to get just kind of one more, unless you have anything um, on the, on the Yukon game, but we mentioned that uh, we mentioned that Yukon is second in the net. Um, the net opened and the Gators are 69th. What is your kind of rep? Were you surprised by that? Do you have any response to that? Or is it just, uh, it is what it is. And there's lots of season left. Well, it's good that they beat FAMU by 40 and Stetson by 38. You know, mm. <laughs> that's my response to that. Like, at least that since they have no good wins, at least they are winning by a lot um, when they're winning, other than the Kennesaw State game. Um, you know, I think I think that's that's kind of it. I mean, it was disappointing. Um, you know, the trip to Portland was disappointing. It's not Florida's fault that, uh, as as Eric so eloquently put it, uh, Leonard Hamilton's quest for immortality has rendered his team the walking dead. Um, so like they didn't get anything out of winning in Tallahassee, which normally we would throw a party over that. Cause it would be a guaranteed quad one win in March. And like it is a quad three win right now. And it's hanging on for dear life. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, this is, it's, it's a tough deal. Florida needs to win some of these games. You know, I think, the Ohio game is going to be another chance to beat somebody in the top 150. But as it stands right now, like Ohio, if Florida loses Wednesday, 
Ohio becomes their best win, assuming they beat Ohio. So, you know, Florida has work to do, uh, but I think we all know that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think my kind of first response to was was that was kind of I would say of concern is like like again I'm not surprised they're 69th. We the, their body of work has not been great, um, but I think one thing that's concerned is I'm pretty sure that Florida A and M is like 23rd, and with respect to our man Dusty May, they're probably not going to stay as a top 25 net team all year. Florida I'm Atlantic, to- you mean? Oh yeah, sorry, Florida Atlantic. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say that Florida Atlantic is going to finish like. 65th they're gonna finish where florida is they're gonna finish like between 60th and, and so i think so right. that's still gonna be like not an awful loss but like i of course the fact that florida a&m is 23rd sorry florida atlantic is 23rd um that that's the that makes florida's loss not look as bad so that was my first kind of reaction is like oh florida atlantic like when that game kind of when when florida atlantic kind of settles back into what we think they are that's not going to be good for Florida's net. But then on the other hand, you look at Florida State, like you mentioned, who, and this is a crazy number, is currently sitting at 293. So will they stay at 293rd, even though they're pretty, you know, the, the injury bug has hit them very, very bad? Um, yeah, Florida Atlantic, or <laughs> Florida, I'm, I'm struggling tonight. Um, You're good. Florida, You're good. Florida State. Is going to uh, is going to end up higher than that, so maybe it's just kind of comes out in the wash. But I, I will say there was two things that were pretty just crazy looking at the the net when it was released, and that was yeah, Florida State being a two two ninety three. That's crazy, and um, we don't need to get into it because this is all that college basketball is talking about, and rightfully so because it's objectively hilarious. Louisville is at three hundred and sixty one, so that's of course something that um, that that jumps out at you. Not Florida related, wow. but absolutely crazy. So. Uh, it's cool that they, I, yeah. I, I always, th- I, I thought it was funny. Like when they released the net this early, there's going to be some kind of anomalies. I'll say like I, I, the first couple of the first year they did it, like Colgate was like, they released it at this point. Like Colgate was like second or third, which is just like, Hey, if you're trying to sell people <laughs> on this new metric, like maybe wait a couple weeks. And like Sam Houston right now was seventh respect to them. Probably not the seventh best team. So like, yeah, like right now there's still, there's still some, some, some humor, but I will say like Florida at 69 based on what, how their season's gone so far. I'd say that's pretty, pretty fair. But again, like those numbers will, will change very quickly. Like if, if Florida wins tomorrow, they'll, they'll, or on Wednesday, they'll probably jump. They get 15 or 20 spots. If, if they oh, even, sure. if they even play well and play a close game and lose, they could go up seven or eight spots. So again, it's, pretty pretty fluid at this point anyone who was watching it last year um will know that things can change pretty quickly but uh yeah it's uh it's not a number that 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 you love for to see for the gators who like you know it's it's funny to say like if the tournament started tomorrow which is just like what you say when you talk about these things but it's a ridiculous notion because we're so early but yeah it's like yeah clearly they would not even be really close to the bubble if that was the case so uh right. hopefully we can talk about this podcast about you know jumps that they make and uh, they've got the opportunities this week to do that yeah no doubt i mean it's uh it's interesting like watching florida state games now and just like praying that they get their act together and then they had two games against top 10 teams this week and uh or last week and lost them both by single digits. And it was just weird hearing like Matt Painter be like, man, we avoided a tough loss tonight. <laughs> Gutted this one out. It's like he just said they avoided a tough loss like at the Tuck Center where like 
FSU had the best record in college basketball at home over like the five seasons preceding this one, you know, like, <laughs> so whatever. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to, to think about all this stuff this early, but what I know is if you go and beat a UConn team that hasn't had really a close game um, to date, they certainly haven't played one in single digits. Then, uh, you know, you, you're heading to Ohio and then to Charlotte for your uh, Jumpman game, feeling pretty decent about yourself. And really, like, you look at Florida's next few basketball games with Ohio and UConn and, and Oklahoma, like the Gators have some opportunities here. Neil, is is UConn the best basketball team that the Gators will play this year? Oh, no, because Florida plays Tennessee. Okay. That, that, that's a set. Yeah, I guess that was kind of my question. Do you think that, that UConn is better than, uh, you know, Tennessee or every other top at the – Yeah, Florida Florida plays Tennessee in Gainesville okay. too, I think. I think they play them in Gainesville this year. I yes, know that, yes. But... Looking at Ken Palm, that is a yes. Tennessee, um, who is so, uh, who is who is fourth in the net right now, um, while we're taking uh, you know way too well. Actually, one more funny thing: SEC related, Mississippi State is fifth right now in the net, um, who are like eight and zero, oh, but with a not very good strength of schedule. So Chris which Jans, again, baby, which again, maybe UConn's so I, dad. <laughs> as I use that stock quote, <laughs> UConn being second, maybe people are like, okay, well, I shouldn't even care about the number if Mississippi State's fifth, but um, yeah. That's a, but uh, so you've got Tennessee better than UConn. That is totally fair take, but I do think there is, uh, I don't know what I think if UConn's going to be the best team the Gators are going to play, but like there is absolutely an argument that this could be the best team the Gators play. Luckily, they get them at home. So uh, this could be a big one. Well, what do you got? The, um, what Tennessee won Maui, right? Yeah. Or no, mm-hmm. they won Atlantis. Yeah. Tennessee won Atlantis. And UConn won Phil Knight Invitational. So, you know, there you go. Uh, Purdue won Phil Knight Legacy. So, I don't know, figure it all out. Uh, it, it's early, you know, it's early. A lot of these teams can can find their way to the bubble. Uh, you know, who knows? Um, I don't think that's going to happen with UConn, Purdue, or Tennessee, but you just never know. Um, so, enjoy the game Wednesday night. We will be back. Uh, to wrap that up for you. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.